Infirmary Media. Start. Poop culture. Yeah, yeah, poop culture. Poop, 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 poop culture. Yeah, it's the poop culture. Poop, poop culture. People engage in stop for dueling decades The Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove Come fight for what you love Dueling decades Who culture popping pins, dropping hand grenades Van Halen locked in Mortal Kombat with David Gray Found out ballet in sick, Iron Maid of GNR Come fight for what you love Dueling decades We are broadcasting from the Bio Bidet Studios Where water does it better Greetings, dudes and divas, and welcome to a special slobber knocker of an episode of Dueling Decades, the totally gnarly, awesome retro game show where we always train, say our prayers, and take our vitamins. On this week's game, our two teams will battle it out over the squared circle as we dive deep into the world of professional wrestling as our teams will tackle an entire year for the very first time on our show. Let's take a look at those teams and the decades they will be fighting for. First off, representing 1988. Yes, it's me. Uh, It's an interesting twist or turn or whatever you want to call it. I'm going to be your heel for this evening rather than your judge. It's John Cross, and I'll be playing with the excellent team, uh, Ashley Judd Half Nelson. (laughs) (laughs) My co-conspirator is, or my tag team mate, sorry to keep it wrestling is uh mike go ahead i'm mike ranger and i used to watch wrestling like 20 years ago (laughs) perfect and i know nothing about wrestling so this is going to be great all right and along with myself representing 1998 oh yeah brother that's right it's the mamalukes all right guys (laughs) here on dueling decades we need someone to hold down law and order So, as a special added attraction, our special guest referee for the evening, Mr. Bo Beecraft. Oh, yeah, tonight I hold your feet in my hands for the first time in a long time. I get to decide the fate of the 80s and the 90s. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And before we begin our game, I wanted to take a moment to thank our growing community of fans of the show, Man Crush, why don't you take it from here? Yeah, that's right. Everybody on Facebook, that shit is blowing up. Uh, If you haven't already joined the group, join the group. Uh, One of the things we just put out, we just changed our logo. Uh, We wanted to make our logo come to life, and we think we did that now. And it actually has a mascot in the middle now. And uh, These people are trying to name him from our group, and there's a poll up. So uh, go over to Facebook.com forward slash Dueling Decades. And uh, if you just go to community, you'll see the group there. Join it. Get your vote in. Tell us how much you love the show, what you don't like, which John will handle all those. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I will handle all negativity about the show and cut that shit down in its prime. Uh, also, I urge everyone in the Facebook group to go over to our Dueling Decade store and buy my T-shirt, you assholes. <laughs> I want to see my cartoon Great face segue. adorning your nipples. Uh, we do have merch. Uh, we're doing a wrestling episode, so this is a perfect opportunity to bring up merchandise. And we do have quite a bit of shirts. I think we have like 12 or 13 different designs. Yeah, and a lot of people have been asking about the new design. It's on its way. It'll be up in the store shortly. That's right. Hassle right, us, you fucking you. assholes. We'll do it in our own good time. 
yourself. All right, gentlemen. Now the rules of our game are quite simple. A coin flip will decide the team that goes first. The winning team will decide the topic of each round out of the five dueling decades categories. Although tonight, all of the categories will be wrestling themed. Those categories being movies, television, music, news, and of course, hot products. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. The judges' ruling will determine who wins each round, and the team with the highest overall score after five rounds will be the victor. But more importantly than that, everybody knows that Dueling Decades is Bowdy Bowdy and Rowdy Rowdy, and if you ain't down with that, we got two words for you. Dueling Decades. All right, gentlemen. Over to Bo Beecraft for the coin toss. Oh, what do you guys want to what do you guys want to toss this week? I'm out of salad. You got salad with I'm out of salad. I'm out of You'll salad. You'll never find the winner that way. <laughs> How quickly can you make it to Brooklyn? <laughs> as long as I don't get no sleep till there. All right. Yeah, no Let's flip this uh sixteen footer Stanley tape measure this week. All right. It's Hulk oh, Hogan it. Yellow. Nice. All right. Now, uh, who wants what here? We're gonna go with the state. We're gonna go with the logo side as heads, the clip on as tails. All right, John All Cross, right. you always do the flip. So why don't you call it this week? This is exciting. It's exciting being on the other side of the desk, so to speak. Uh, I'm gonna go tails. I want to see that clip pointing skywards. All right. This is. Uh, I should probably do this on the floor. I don't want this hitting me in the balls. So here we go. <laughs> wait, it's wait, wait. Air. I wanted to hit you in the balls. So it do is. it. <laughs> It is tails. Woo! We are All silver right. side up, which is the greatest Nickelback album ever made. By the Mike, way, Mike, we're already on our way, Chief. We're already oh. doing it. It's already a win. Let's this just end exciting. now. Let's just end on a high a three note. count right there. All right, where do you guys start, Mike? Where do you think should we start with our weakest or start with our strongest? What do you want to do? Um, let's go with the weakest. All right. What do you reckon the weakest is? <laughs> I think, I don't know, man. I think the music. The music? Music's got to be the weakest for all this stuff. All right. Go I right ahead. So. You start off, dude, with your music round. Okay. This is pretty, it's pretty incredible. So, uh, you know, hold, hold on to your turnbuckles. Uh, on March 27th, 1988, at the historic Atlantic City Convention Hall in Atlantic City, New Jersey, Gladys Knight sings America the Beautiful at WrestleMania 4. The performance was in fact stellar. However, Gladys Knight herself didn't much care for pro wrestling. When asked how she felt about being at WrestleMania, she said, quote, it's the pips. <laughs> yeah. Gladys, quite a quite a punmeister. Wow. Uh, back in yeah. her day. Um, so that was Gla yeah, Gladys Knight. Gladys singing. Knight. Man, you guys are starting strong. Well, yeah, yeah, that's, that's that what right I there. thought. Hey, listen, wait till you've heard mine. Honestly, this is going to be the greatest music round you've ever heard. Uh, this one actually is a bit of tricky, but please stick with me till I've finished. While three years earlier in 1985, WWF did dabble in album producing and released the wrestling album, in general, where music and wrestling collides is in the individual wrestler's theme or entry songs. Now... Just in case you thought Hulk Hogan being a big old racist was the first brush with bigotry that has K 
casually and barely plague the world of professional wrestling, then you're probably not on this podcast. But just to put it in context, back in 1988, proving that people from South Carolina have always had an interesting relationship with the truth, large beardy wrestler, one man gang, decided to announce that, despite being very much a Caucasian from, as I said, South Carolina, that he was really African and called Akeem the African Dream. This led to the controversial Akeem and Slick theme, a weird blend of soul, funk, and rap that would be catchy if it wasn't so generic and, well, a bit shit. Anyway, that's that's all that we've got. It's a it's an entry theme. It debuted in 1988, and it's controversial. So I figured that's got to be worth something, right? Wow. Yeah, it was a good yeah. theme, though. I was an Akeem fan, so can't go wrong with Akeem the African How dream. could you be an Akeem fan? You model your looks on Akeem, don't fans. you, Martin, for the band? <laughs> I, I really do. I do. I, uh, <laughs> he's a personal role model of mine. No, I always liked Akeem. And I, I thought years later when I realized that the gimmick itself was kind of a, a rib on Dusty because Dusty Rhodes, the American dream. It was kind of just a way of poking fun at him. I even liked the character more at that point. All right. To All to right. each their so, own. <laughs> but, <laughs> Solid round there, fellas. But honestly, to, to be honest, although there were a lot of classic entry themes knocking about in 1988, most of them didn't start in 1988. Most of them were already going, uh, you know, once they came, Hulks was already going and um, Dusty Rhodes, another like quality uh, entry theme was going. So I tried to pick one that started in 88 and, as I said, had a little bit of a, a, a news story controversy to it definitely a good find just oh, yeah. a shitty shitty pick but all right <laughs> I, I had gladys oh, fuck Knight. you dude if it had been 1985 <laughs> i would have had the whole wrestling album to play with and you guys would have been sunk <laughs> <laughs> mike you're right i forgot all about yours already <laughs> it, was, it was a big performance guys people are still talking about it yeah gladys knight come on who can who can beat gladys knight Exactly. That was the one at the end where Justin Timberlake ripped off the thing of her boob, right? Right. Yeah, I was going to say, who can beat Gladys Knight except, you know, Mavis Staples, Aretha Franklin, <laughs> Janet Jackson. Anyway, sorry, carry on. Anyhow, all right. Uh, Mark, you want to start this one out? All right, I will start this one out. And uh, released October 27th, 1998, ECW Extreme Music, the album. Uh, unlike WCW and WWF at the time, all the songs on the ECW album were performed by actual big-name musicians and consisted of previously released metal songs and covers of metal classics done by metal royalty themselves and originals by the legendary Harry Slash, who served as the in-house musician for ECW. The band Kilgore, contributes a solid version of Pantera's classic Walk. Uh, Bruce Dickinson of Iron Maiden sings a soaring rendition of The Scorpion's The Zoo. Other major standouts from the album are a pair of Metallica covers, Motorhead's cover of Enter Sandman, and Phantom Lord, which was Mike Awesome's theme. That's performed this time by Anthrax. Uh, this album featured the hunk, Sandman on the cover, and uh, there was actually wrestler intros to each track in the lighter notes. So that's ECW Extreme Music, the album, October 27th, 1998. You know what's amazing about that pick is the fact that 
ECW went out of business. They're notorious for losing money all the time towards the late 90s. I think in 98, it's just where I kind of started that slope, uh, started to go downhill, started to get a little faster in 99, 2000. But this had to contribute to that quite a bit because (laughs) those are some names. Pay for all those names (laughs) to be on. Yeah, that's that's a. I think they did it in conjunction with some some record labels, so that there was some assistance there. But wow, being able to pull down, you know, Lemmy, Bruce Dickinson, Anthrax. I mean, just the the talent alone. Also on this album, you had White Zombie, and I mean, it's just a who's who of metal at that time. But also a lot of a lot of those guys had I mean Lemmy and people had not been doing stuff since the eighties, right? Really? Yeah. But it was But I know were, what you're saying. They were the rock I mean, these guys were icons. Sure. And then totally. they were covering other other icons. So it e- was uh, ECW, was that the one with all the like barbed wire and bloodletting? Yeah. Yep. All See, right. you do know wrestling. Well, that's the one I rem- that's the that's the wrestling I remember seeing <laughs> was all the violent yeah, that, stuff. ECW is fucking great. Yeah. All right. Uh, shifting a little bit, kind of the same deal. Uh, released December nineteenth, nineteen ninety eight. This album actually went platinum, selling over a million copies. Uh, it even reached top ten on the Billboard two hundred. And the album that I speak of is none other than the WWF, the Music Volume Three. <sighs> By Jim Johnston, not exactly the name that you know Mark brought up with all the people on his uh, his album, but Jim Johnston did plenty of songs oh, yeah. throughout the '90s, early 2000s, and to my knowledge, this is the best-selling WWF album of all time. I went through all the other albums, and there are some missing sales figures there, so I'm assuming that they didn't sell that well. That's why they didn't put it. Um, and also, uh, one thing here, you know, the rocks smell what I'm cooking, right? Right. The Rock actually dropped that line at WrestleMania 14 for the first time. And his theme music changed in May of 98 to open with, do you smell what The Rock is cooking? You know, and that's it stayed. Um, But that was on this album Uh, between that and the glass shattering with Stone Cold. That's probably the two signatures that were instant crowd pops to any like house show. It didn't even matter. You heard that first two seconds and that place blew up. Uh, but this thing had everybody's walkout music on it. Undertaker, Edge, X-Pac, Dude Love, Kane, The Rock, even fucking Gangrel was on it, Ken Shamrock. This one was crazy. The Oddities were on it because they were in the WWF for like two seconds. Uh, DX was on it. Uh, Sable's music, New Age Outlaws, of course, Val Venus. And then uh, the whole thing finishes up with Stone Cold. And I just looked this up the other day. Do you guys remember... Um, the DX song. Yeah. It was like a fake Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. Fake Against the Machine. Fake Against the Machine. <laughs> <laughs> I just happened to look it up, and that dude actually died a couple of years ago at the age of 49. Wow. Yeah. The guy that, during WrestleMania 14, he actually, uh, Triple H props him up on his shoulders. And yeah. It's, uh, they came out and, pretty su- and sang thing. it live. It was pretty cool. Yeah. But that anyhow, that's what I got. It is uh, WWF The Music Volume 3. All right, oh. round one is done. That's music. Over to the special guest referee, Mr. Bo Beecraft. This is a ruling. tough call. This is a really tough call because the 80s, you obviously have some really pinnacle moments. You're talking Gladys Knight, who is one of the uh, you know most illustrious performers in the history of Motown, certainly in pop music in general, WrestleMania 4. 
But then you have the wrestling album. I actually watched a short documentary on this the other day. You're talking people like Rick Derringer. Largely, this entire album was produced by uh, Cindy Lauper's producer at the time. Cindy Lauper, of course, had a lot of ties to WWF back in the day, which is just fucking bizarre to begin with. Uh, but to come off that album is Rick Derringer's Real American, which is Hulk Hogan's theme song. It's synonymous with Hulk Hogan. Uh, racism aside, you hear that uh, that little guitar riff. That's Hulk Hogan. The crowd goes wild. Uh, so, man, the 80s, the 80s, I'm leaning heavily towards. But then you have uh, the ECW Extreme Music, which ECW is kind of known for just having shitty covers uh, or soundalikes because they couldn't afford the copyrights to the uh, the actual songs themselves. WCW did the same thing. Um, Anthrax, Motorhead, Bruce Dickinson, those are all obviously huge uh, center cornerstones of the uh, the metal genre and everything. But then WWF The Music Volume 3. That was a tits album. Uh, Jim Johnson is pretty much like God as far as wrestling themes are concerned. He's created some of the best wrestling themes of all time. Uh, that was one of the actual first CDs that I ever owned, which I think says a horrible amount about me as a person. <laughs> Probably the one that has the most scratches on it to this day because I still have it somewhere in this house. Um Man, that's tough. I think ultimately my decision is going to have to lie with uh, 88 here, though, with Gladys Knight and the wrestling album is too. No, hold on, hold on. Oh, okay. You can't pick the wrestling album. Did I have not to come point out. that out. Sorry, I might have confused yeah. the oh, situation. Oh, okay, yeah. Because the, I'm sorry, the, the wrestling album yeah. came out in 85. I said if oh, it was 85. man. I apologize. Trickery no, my, by the judge. Oof, oof, my oof, pick. Oof. My pick for 88 was the. The Akeem um, the Dream theme. The Akeem the Dream mm. theme. I could have gone for the Hulk Hogan theme, which he was still using in 88, but um, I wanted to go with something that debuted in 88. Well, this so, yeah, changes no, things. I, I apologize for torpedoing my own team, but in the honor of fairness and whatever. Yeah. But, but Gladys Knight is, you know, still Gladys there. Gladys Knight is still awesome. Yeah, Gladys Knight is still there. So, you know. No, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, the, the wrestling album, which was, as far as I know, the first musical album put out by WWF was 85, not Correct. 88. I want to be mm. that clear. Sorry. Mm-mm-mm. Well then, I brought it up in 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 reference to not as the whole choice. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna flip on this one then. I'm gonna award it to the '90s, even though the uh, ECW Extreme Music thing wasn't uh, that pivotal. The uh, the WWF the music thing is. I mean, it reached top ten on the Billboard chart. I don't think there's been any wrestling related uh, musical event that's that's actually you know, since for- captured that. Four was number five on the chart. Four's another and good one. I had four as well. As a matter of but fact, they didn't I, sell as I have well. the whole uh, the whole anthology, which is uh, again says a horrible amount about who I am as a person. <laughs> I think five actually did the best on the billboards, if I remember correctly. Five was garbage. Like number four, by the way, that included a song about pie by The Rock, which was fucking atrocious. Yeah. Oh, yes. really however, bad. however, Bo, I would like to point out that growing up, I always got points for being honest. So I just want to. <laughs> I, I will award you a uh, a non-competitive sympathy point. Doesn't o- count. Also, mine was controversially racist. My theme as well. So, <laughs> all right, your point has been re- deducted. <laughs> no, it's, going, it's, go, it's going to the nineties. That's the final Akeem ruling. And Slick was racist. Okay. All right, man, Chris. We have control of the board. What category do you want to go with? I know this is early. But we have to probably do it now. Let's go movies. Oh, all right. Look Let's at that. Oh, out. Come on. We oh, wanted to get man. two points for movies. You <laughs> hey, that's what strategy's all about, motherfucker. Uh, you know we're winning this shit. 
All right, I'll, I'll let you start with your juggernaut. All right. While having a blast at their favorite amusement park, Mega Mountain, the Ninja Brothers witnessed the kidnapping of TV action superstar Dave Dragon, played by none other than Hulk Hogan, by the evil Lothar Zarg, played by Jim Varney, and his kid-hating love Medusa, played by Lonnie Anderson. When Medusa's henchmen surround the park and demand $10 million from the park owners, the ninjas strike back with vengeance. Join Rocky, Colt, and Tum-Tum for a roller coaster ride of fun, action, and comedy in Three Ninjas, High Noon at Mega Mountain, released October 10th, 1998. Now, who was in that movie from the wrestling world? Hulk Hogan, I said. Oh, did you? I didn't. I missed that. Is nobody listening on this episode? I'm just checking in. Are we all awake? Hello. <laughs> yeah. Hulk Hogan plays Dave Dragon. Oh, he, I got He you. assists got you. the three ninjas to save Mega Mountain. It was such a good movie. I don't know why I didn't just know that. <laughs> because when you're making a three ninjas sequel, instead of just having Hulk Hogan play himself, give him a name like Dave Dragon. Because that really just. It's because puts a his line. performance of As Dave Dragon was so compelling, Man Crush didn't even realize that that was Hulk Hogan. Right. It yeah. was just such a... He just completely got immersed in the character. It's such a <laughs> shitty name and bad casting call when you think about it. It's like, number one, he has no martial arts skills. He can barely wrestle, let alone do any martial arts. So the, the name The Dragon doesn't really roll. No. And then he's with three ninjas. Yeah. Like, It what? should have been Don the Dragon Wilson playing the guy. He just wasn't well-known enough. Um, despite being an actual martial artist. Let me ask you, Mark, uh, what is the um, what number sequel is this? It's got to be the third or fourth sequel, this, isn't it? And this is the third one. Right, right, right. Okay. That's where it gets good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it really peaks. It's like the Fast and Furious franchise. It doesn't get good until Three Ninjas 5. That's, that's right. really where it... That's when he finds out who's been eating all his good and plenty. That's the, that's the big reveal from the previous two cliffhangers the years previous. <laughs> Gotta really let the story develop. Yeah, so you got to get to the and the boys sequel. too, and, and wow. you're forgetting the juggernaut Jim Varney and Lonnie yeah. Anderson also in this movie. Yeah. I mean, those are Mark. Mark, how was the bottom of the barrel when you were scraping it to find this film? <laughs> oh, it was it was murky, and uh, this was the best I could find. So honestly, I mean, Hulk Hogan's career has kind of been marred by sex tape controversies. What we don't know is that you know there could be a Lonnie Anderson and Ernest P. Whirl and Hulk Hogan threesome sex tape out there that we'll we'll never see it'll never be on earth but it could exist and that gives me hope thank goodness we never saw the uh santa with muscles hulk hogan and clint howard sex tape that would have been the that would have been the that also would be a roller coaster ride of fun action and comedy (laughs) all right anyhow uh moving on to november 6 1998 uh quite possibly this could be the last funny movie of adam sandler's career uh that was released on that date and that's waterboy uh, he might have had one other one. Maybe Big Daddy was after that. Eh, I mean, it's kind of a toss-up. Anger management uh, with uh, Jack Nicholson is funny only for Jack Nicholson, but it's funny. For Jack <laughs> yeah, exactly. well, I meant I meant Adam Sandler being funny in the movie. When was Adam Sandler funny in a movie? Uh, you know what? He had his time in, in the <laughs> no, got a couple of films. I'm being an asshole. Go ahead. Overboard, mainly. But you know what? This movie, <laughs> it brought in $185 million worldwide, which is close to $300 million in 2019. So that's juggernaut numbers for a comedy, like insane numbers. They only spent 20 million on it. So he made a shit ton of money. 
everyone knows Adam Sandler and Waterboy, but has this tie into wrestling. You're asking yourself, right? Do you recall the scene where Bobby Boucher is watching pro wrestling and Bobby's favorite wrestler starts giving an interview on the TV? And that wrestler, a.k.a. Captain Insano, was played by none other than Paul White, also known as It's the Big Show, <laughs> it's the big, which is the worst theme music of all time for a big guy. Uh, but if you remember this scene, Bobby offers his services as a professional water boy to uh, Captain Insano. And Captain Insano and the guy interview him kind of find it a little bit endearing. So he asks Bobby's age, and he's guessing that he's like 11 or 12. And then they find out that he's 31. And Insano <laughs> and the interviewers, they like look at each other, and they start laughing. And, and then he says at the end, he's like, everybody watching, Bobby is a virgin. <laughs> and that's kind of how it ends. But that whole scene, and then he mentions him earlier in the film. He didn't carry any ill will towards Captain Insano later on. He, he did bring that back up that he made fun of him, but he still loved him. He was his favorite wrestler, but that's what I had is the water boy. Captain Insano shows no mercy. So one scene in an Adam Sandler movie then. I'm just I'm just making sure we're aware of that. <laughs> exactly what it yeah, that's fucking, that's a huge movie. I mean, it's it's no Three Ninjas fucking <laughs> action park or whatever the fuck it was called. No, but he's not a pivotal plot point either. <laughs> like sure, in Three Ninjas, this is, Hulk Hogan this is the is scene. The plot. <laughs> <laughs> where he got his shit together and fucking like took off. You know? It's all right. We're going to win this. Anyway, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. What I've got here is a movie so mysterious. Its official release date is just January 1988. Roddy Piper stars in a film of some kind called Hell Comes to Frogtown. Piper plays Sam Hell, a fertile man in an unfertile world. A post-apocalyptic atomic fallout future with a society of mutated frog people. Personally, I feel the movie is an interesting view into the world of human sex trafficking. A uh, highlight of the film is uh, Piper wearing a device that will shock his genitals and will explode if he fails his mission. The film will, while not incredible, had enough of a following to spawn a sequel in 93 and a spin-off in 96, neither featuring any returning members of the original cast and released directly to home video. So this weekend, kids, go out and rent the film where Rowdy Roddy Piper's dick had to save the human race. Yes. <laughs> Isn't Robert Zadar in this? Uh, he How might comes be. to Frogtown? Isn't um, he? Is Zadar in that? I don't think so. Roy uh, Calhoun is in it. From, I believe uh, uh, like, Robert Loggia yeah. has a very large starring role. Oh, fuck. If Robert Loggia's <laughs> in it, you guys take the round. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, hell comes to Frogtown. All right, I like it. Believe Robert Zadar is in the sequel, Hell Comes oh. to Frogtown Two or Return to Frogtown. Got it. So I've seen those. The uh, but Rowdy Roddy Piper, I mean, uh, probably the most in terms of wrestlers who would go on to make movies who weren't The Rock. Or John Cena, but specifically who aren't The Rock. Probably the most illustrious movie career uh, up until The Rock. Um, and and certainly the, the benchmark for, for uh, successful films starring wrestlers up until that point. Um, and in 1988, he had a double whammy. There was the aforementioned Hell Comes to Frogtown, which is a B-movie delight, well worth watching, 
uh, sort of an escape to escape from New York, but instead of a thing around his wrist that's going to kill him in 24 hours, it's a thing around his dick, <laughs> uh, which is just fantastic. <laughs> However, the one-two punch of Rowdy Piper in 1988 doesn't get any better than John Carpenter's They Live. Rowdy Roddy Piper plays John Nada, a bemulleted blue-collar gent who finds a pair of Ray-Bans that lets him see who actually voted for Reagan. In his various attempts to get others to put these damn glasses on, he gets a bottle broken over his head, shoved out a plate glass window, kicked down a hill, has a seven-minute fight in an alleyway with Keith David, and gets shot at by a corporate capitalist military looking to keep their alien Reaganomics secret quiet. But they didn't count on Roddy, Rowdy Roddy Piper. He's come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and he's all out of bubblegum. Not only is it a fantastic movie with a terrific central conceit, and a damn cool Carpenter soundtrack, but it has gained in popularity and become iconic over the years. From street art to internet art, it's now basically a meme for anyone with even a passing leftist politics. The film opened on November 4th, 1988, and and debuted at number one uh, at the North American box office, grossing $4.8 during its opening weekend, and stayed in the top ten for two weeks. This movie is so good that by rights, not only should it win us the round, but the whole damn game. And not just this episode, but basically a whole year's worth of episodes. <laughs> there literally isn't a better All right, you're getting a little crazy. You're they, getting crazy. But outside of They Live. I'm a big fan of The Rock, but he has not made a movie that comes close to the importance and the genius and the awesomeness or coolness of They Live. Just you wait till they reboot it. Yeah, oh, God. that's coming soon, I bet. Well, you know what they can't reboot is uh, Meg Foster was actually hot in that movie. And, and what they can't reboot is her eyes. Uh, her yeah. eyes are literally uh, only exist within her head and nowhere else. Now she's just frightening. Fuck Betty Davis's eyes. Meg Foster's <laughs> eyes. She's got them. Meg Write a song Foster about eyes. that, Kim Carnes. Yeah, for you God's dried sake, up go old egg. Now, come on, ah, just, just just give them the round. This one this is a, such a slam yeah, dunk. Yeah, I mean, this is this is really going to be a no brainer. <laughs> Though I will say, uh, I probably hold the record in Scotland County, Missouri, for the most rents from the library of the Three Ninjas. Uh, movie series <laughs> once no i don't particularly remember the third installment high noon on uh fun top mountain or whatever the fuck it was called <laughs> obviously an all-star cast i mean you've got lonnie anderson she broke away from uh from burt reynolds long enough to get a little piece of hulk hogan and uh ernest p yeah the water boy uh, you know we all had our, our time with that it was funny at one point maybe when we were 10 but uh yeah they live alone is uh, enough to warrant giving this round to the eighties for sure. Yes, yes, Shocker. yes. I the mean, whole game to us. Just give the whole game to us. They live is that good. What's more interesting though is Hell Comes to Frogtown was developed before Alex Jones was a popular figure in uh, the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so that's actually going right. to be the fourth sequel. As Alex Jones is uh, sent to save the world. Frogtown, moreover, from from the development of gay frogs. As long as his dick still gets shocked, I don't care. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In fact, can we no, just do a movie up. where Alex Jones is strapped down and just subjected to electrocution? <laughs> yeah. That would be. He's forced to watch blown. Three Ninjas. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good pay per view. Man. <laughs> yeah. 
I haven't seen that Three Ninjas sequel, and I feel myself bereft now that I need to go. I need to go find it and fill a Three Ninjas uh, trequel uh, part of my. Uh, I would like to know how many people actually saw that three ninjas i probably yeah, did at one probably point. jim varney's family and that was about <laughs> it that was probably about it they're like no more earnest movies he's like no i've got a big time movie with the ninjas and the hulk hogan they're like weren't ninjas big in the 80s he was like shut up i make more silly rubber faces fun fact when uh, they dug up all the et uh, atari tapes they actually found a bunch of vhs copies of three ninjas high top mountain whatever the fuck it's called yeah. And Jim Same Varney's time. bones. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. All right, where do you guys go? All right, Mike, what do you want to do next, Chief? I don't know, man. What do you think our next? Well, I think as we've got, we've got. I think TV and news we're in with a with a good chance. So I think we should leave those for the two pointers. Okay. I think I think we go hot product next because right. it's our other weakest one. Sounds good. Okay. Do, do you want to? Take the way? No. Yeah, I'll go ahead because yours is considerably better than mine. Oh, nice. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> All right. So for hot product, again, bear with me on this one. <laughs> Holy shit. And I want to say again, I know nothing about <laughs> wrestling. Um, but no, hot product. Um, uh, there's, but there was basically only one hot product of 1988, and Mike's going to tell you about that one. So the other <laughs> one that I found was women's wrestling magazines. Uh, there was uh, Women of Wrestling and The Glow magazine both made their debut in 1988. Apart from their existence, their debut date, and a few magazine covers, I can literally find nothing else about either of these <laughs> magazines online whatsoever. However, along with the original Glow TV series and the rise of female wrestlers in the WWF at the time, the publication of female-driven wrestling magazines represents a pivotal and important step in the timeline of equality for women wrestlers. And remember, in this climate of knee-jerk reactions and cathartic, idiotic politics, if you don't give us a point for this round, Bo, you're a terrible <laughs> sexist. You could tell that he doesn't watch wrestling by saying that, because this totally didn't happen till like, this year. The pressure is on. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it, it look, look it up. The Women of Wrestling and Glow Wrestling magazine. Both oh yeah, it was around, but it, yeah. I actually remember both of those magazines. So yeah, yeah. and not yeah. only that, but we've come full circle because obviously Glow being on Netflix, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but we've also got a movie in the cinema right now, which is about the rise of um, a very important female wrestler, Paige. Uh, fighting with the family. Saw it the other week. It's actually very good. <laughs> Man, you bullshit from fucking left field, bro. Uh, and there was also something to do with the in, in, uh, invention of a remote control that wasn't on a Bo, wire Bo, just anymore. remember this is about <laughs> Glow Magazine that he went on record as saying he couldn't find shit about. I could know. I could find anywhere. four covers that are available on eBay. <laughs> All right. Sounds like a pivotal There's product. a reason they're for sale. <laughs> no, Spring but also, is around the corner. Also, w w women, women of Wrestling was also released in 1988 and is still going now as a successful website. But I couldn't find anything about the magazine. Anyway, Mike, take it, take it away with the, the proper hot For product. For God's sake, save him. I hate watching people drown. <laughs> I want to hear more about what Mark was doing with these magazines. <laughs> All right, so 1988 saw the fifth series of LJN's Wrestling Superstars figures continue to bring both joy and pain to America's children. 
The toy line was quite popular among America's youth. However, the fifth series was the last to be widely distributed, with the sixth series only being distributed in Canada before LJN closed its toy line and canceled the Superstars line, and LJN went on to making some of the worst fucking video games of all time. (laughs) Here's some figures that came out with the 1988 series. The adorable Adrian Adonis, Bam Bam Bigelow, Axe Demolition, Hacksaw Jim Duggan with 2x4, Honky Tonk Man with guitar, Hulk Hogan, red or white shirt with the title, uh, the luscious Johnny Valiant, One Man Gang, referee, blue or white shirt, Rick Martel, <laughs> slick with the hat, Ted DiBiase, T- and Tito Santana. That's right, boys and girls, with wrestling superstars, it's like having a real match right in your own home. Man, nice. If only you went with the uh, 86 or uh, 80, no, 85 or 86 series. Those had the like killer guy no yeah that's when you got like the the real big release but i mean the cool thing about this is a lot of these were collectible because it was like that towards the end of the run the 89 wait is that the black the black uh what do you call it like back that's backing that's 89 89? that's the last series um those are worth some fucking cash yeah you got those yeah and those were basically all re-releases i think in that series you're only getting about five new figures yeah, I think it's the the big boss man's worth like fucking five grand or some crazy shit, like new in the, yeah, uh, the package. That's more than the actual big boss man was worth. Now- <laughs> Ray Trailer was a saint. <laughs> the fifth series LGN toys incredibly important, incredibly rare, <laughs> worth a lot of money. <laughs> Very successful, so successful they never did another full Matt North American run of the toys again. <laughs> No, they're those rubber guys were fucking awesome though. I like, oh, yeah. I had a bunch of them. I had the ring. They yeah. had a steel cage for it. Like, yeah, that blue cage. Yeah. Excellent. We win this round as well, Mike. <laughs> well, actually, all the all the good ones though that came out the year prior in <laughs> no eighty five and eighty six. The, the only rubbers in wrestling in the eighties that wait, ever wait, wait, mattered. There, there was a referee <laughs> release <laughs> in a blue or white shirt. Vince McMahon came out, I think. Uh, well, no, he was eighty nine, also, I think. But right? do you remember there that was they did Vince women's McMahon, wrestling yeah. magazines? Now, did we did we talk <laughs> about those? <laughs> now, were these the figures where you could stick your thumb in their ass? No, no, but LJN did make wrestlers. those. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, those these were the great fantastic. ones, man. I've dude, I've got a junkyard dog just somewhere in my parents' backyard. <laughs> it's it's there. I buried him. I just don't know where the, where the fucking spot it was in. Not the figure. Just yeah, say a dog, an actual junkyard junk dog. dog. That's sad. Do you know that guy died in a car wreck? Really? Oh man. Yeah, I never knew that until like a couple days, like a couple weeks ago or something. Yeah, guess where the car ended up? Yeah, junkyard. <laughs> junkyard. <laughs> oh, oh. I saw that one oh. coming. It's in Mike's parents' yard. He already said that. <laughs> That's where he buried the evidence. Oh shit, Mike! Should I notice it? Horrible. All right. All right. What do you got? Mama Luke's. All right, where are we going? Hot products. Uh, do you want me to start this one out? Yeah, go right ahead. All right, released on July 14th, 1998, Acclaim Entertainment's WWF Warzone oh, for PlayStation shit. and Nintendo 64. The Nintendo 64 copy actually came out in August, uh, but the other one, uh, July 14th, there was also a Game Boy one, which was terrible, which I think came out before everything else in June. Um but if you didn't realize it, the game was actually named after the second hour of Raw, uh, as wrestling fans probably know. 
Raw was two hours at the time. You had your first hour that was TV PG. And then, of course, it went to TV 14 in the second hour. So they named the video game after that. It, initially, it was going to be called, like, WWF Game or some fucking lame-ass <laughs> shit like that. But hey, anyhow, um, the game was, uh, it's credited as being the uh, the best wrestling game ever to be released at the time. Um, it utilized 3D fighting graphics, uh, kind of like Tekken. Uh, if you are familiar with that game and it had never been done before in wrestling games up to that point. Um, so no more shitty, like 2d arcade style wrestling. There were real video promos in this from wrestlers. And if you've never seen it before, go on YouTube and find Ahmed Johnson's uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> video promos. So bad. This game. Awesome. So bad. They are incredible. Um, but one of the other things that they had that really hadn't been done to that point in a wrestling game was the, uh, the creation mode where you got to create your own wrestler, give him moves, name him, give him his theme music, all that shit. Uh, cage matches were on here. You had career mode. You had Jim Ross and Vince commentating at ringside. There were weapons matches, extreme matches. They really tried to do everything in this game. But could you make them have sex? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with a cheat It would code. probably look like it. Especially with the Game Boy version, where the guy just kept rolling on the ground. Yeah, so maybe. that's all I'm looking for in a in a creative game is <laughs> if I'm creating my own sim or wrestler or whatever is is can I make it do dirty movements? If not, it's a terrible game and they shouldn't win the round. Bo, <laughs> it's the eye of the beholder on that one. I, I, you know, maybe you would see it that way. But anyhow, WWF Warzone, uh, you know, bringing wrestling into 3D for the first time, and it was also a, a good seller for a while too that year. Um, it was number one for a couple months. I don't know if it stayed number one throughout the whole year. There's really not many figures on the sales for this. All right. In my pick, I never actually played the game that Man Crush had because I never had that system. I had the Nintendo 64. So I played that version, and I played this game, which was ranked the number six wrestling game of all time, released October 26th. 1998 which was the monday after the infamous halloween havoc that is the game wcw nwo revenge for the nintendo 64 uh, revenge gained critical praise and tremendous commercial success according to a 1999 article by ign revenge was the best-selling wrestling game for the nintendo 64 console at the time and it sold over 1.8 million copies you had Diamond Dallas Page, Chris Jericho, Rey Mysterio Jr., Goldberg, Raven, The Giant, Hulk Hogan, Sting, Bret Hart, Macho Man Randy Savage, Holland Nash, Roddy Piper, Glacier, and of course, the Disco Inferno. The Revenge <laughs> Grappling System is what really sold this game. Uh, it revolutionized the system, and for the first time, THQ introduced actual arenas into the game, such as Monday Nitro, Starcade, Bash at the Beach, sold out Super Brawl, and of course, the Halloween Havoc, which was the night after this was, the night before this was released, where Hulk Hogan fought the Ultimate Warrior, and if you haven't seen that match, just, you have to. So that's uh, WCW NWO Revenge for the Nintendo 64, game I rented the shit fuck out of, I can tell you that. <laughs> that's quite an... Fuck. <laughs> wow. All right. Mm. And that's tough because I can remember I remember Warzone being like 
cutting edge as far as graphics went. I think this was the first, uh, it was this one or, or WWF Attitude was the first game to really incorporate entrances and entrance themes. That was and that was WCW NWO Revenge. It was the first one that had entrances and entrance ramps. Right. Yeah, that was the first one. They did remember. have it in Warzone, but only in career mode. Right. 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 I remember Warzone being just such a pain in the ass to play, though, and it could have been because I was uh, still, you know, developing my brain and motor skills at that point. <laughs> the one cool thing that Warzone did have is when you were in a lockup, you can actually hit a button. And get all the moves dropped down so you could see what the combinations were. Oh, nice. I forgot Which about hadn't that. hadn't been done before. But you know what cool. none of these things had? None of these had the gorgeous <laughs> ladies of wrestling. <laughs> and you know what had the gorgeous ladies of wrestling? That would be Glow Magazine, which mm. debuted in 1988. Soul Glow Magazine. I beg to differ, John Cross. Um, please. <laughs> WCW NWO Revenge for the Nintendo 64 had the most gorgeous lady of wrestling all time in the game, and that was Miss Elizabeth. Well, I thought you were going to say Mae Young. Yeah, but we also know that nobody played anything on the N64 except Goldeneye. That was literally all anyone played on the N64. I don't know. They had that really good Star Wars game. No, it didn't. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Wasn't know, there man. one called like Star Fox or something on the N64 or something? Yeah. Where there was like a yeah. fox in space. That was. I remember that. But Goldeneye was all I ever played on the N64. Mario but it was, Kart. Goldeneye is still the best game that has ever been, like the best James Bond game that's ever been made. They've literally never been able to beat that. Oh, and again, women's wrestling magazines. <laughs> they, they, they weren't on the top shelf. They weren't covered up in plastic. You could literally purchase them and look at women in wrestling garb all day, all night. I'm going to be judge in the next a, a game, wonderful... and I'm going to give John's team zero points. <laughs> This is a tough game this far because there's always at least one thing from each decade that that really strikes a chord with me and that I find that would be really pivotal to to culture in general. Um, obviously, they're still making wrestling games, things like that, and there's no arguing, you know, that these are two kind of the the, the pivotal games as far as where they've come today and and kind of being, uh, you know, foundation pouring for wrestling games as we know them today. But uh, cultural significance. The LJN figures were huge upon their release. Now they're even bigger because they're rare to find. They're hard to find. Most of them that are out there are still beat up, beat to shit. Uh, but the interesting thing is the Young Bucks, who are kind of at the, the forefront of this big independent movement as far as professional wrestling is going, uh, have brought back LJN figures. They're about to release the Young Bucks LJN figures. So now they're, um, you know, almost, you know, three decades later, they're coming back into significance and, and back into prominence. So. I'm going to have to award it to uh, Ashley Judd, half Nelson, the 80s for oh, this God. round. Oh, God. What horseshit. Oh, wow. We're getting fucking railroaded, Mark. <laughs> We're getting fucking railroaded. Mike's coming out with third generation fucking rubber figures and taking rounds. John's fucking throwing out God knows what. <laughs> fucking horrible. They oh. live. I'm staying live. in kayfabe this whole time. Fuck you both. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, this would this show would be nothing if there wasn't like a a fight aspect. If there wasn't like a a, a burgeoning wrestling tag team uh, Royal Rumble about to happen here. <laughs> All right, you guys have control of the board yet once again. I can't fucking believe it. Yeah, pick we your do. category. Uh, never go with a computer game when you can go with <laughs> women's wrestling. <laughs> Shut your mouth, John Cross. And a failed line of toys. It's getting ugly. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Back to May Young again. 
All right, dude. Should we, uh, Mike? Should we do news or TV? What do you want to do? Dude? Um, it doesn't matter where you go. <laughs> well, it, it 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 does. I mean, TV is definitely our strongest. Uh, news. We're is two probably point our rounds second. now. You want to do news? We'll do. No, it. We'll do news. Okay. Just so everybody's aware, the score is currently two to one in favor of Ashley Judd Half Nelson. So yeah. we now move on to the uh, two point Ooh, rounds, yeah. as, as uh, Rick Man Crush just said. It's exciting to be on the other side of the bench. <laughs> <laughs> All right. In November of 1988, Jim Crockett Promotions sells to Turner Broadcasting, essentially creating the WCW. Crockett Promotions at the time was a legendary promotion in the territory days and the biggest competitor to McMahon's WWF, but was never able to expand to the national market like McMahon's promotion and eventually sold the company to Turner Broadcasting after battling years of financial decline. Dusty Rhodes would later comment, you know, we was just living that American dream, baby, but uh, we done plumb ran out of money. <laughs> oh, and that's news. That's Turner Broadcasting picking up the WCW, right? Well, no, it's uh, Jim Crockett uh, Promotions uh, having to sell and uh, to right. Turner Broadcasting, and then that led but to that, WCW. Right. That was a huge um, thing that, that, that was had the catalyst, great repercussions yeah. and, and fantastic, and everyone loved it, right? It was a big, big, big story. Well, actually, I don't, I don't know if everybody necessarily loved All the... All right, stop uh, there, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Put the shovel down. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, dude. Finish, finish. Well, no, it's just it's 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 a little bit of controversy. Not true. Re a lot of old school wrestling fans don't really like the WWF storyline, uh, and they much prefer what was going on during the when everything was a territory. Well, talking about old school wrestling, that very neatly ties into uh, my new story from 1988. Uh, I did say that when we were going to do a wrestling episode, and as I said, like I grew up in the UK, so therefore, while there was uh, a WWF and a WWE on uh, uh, cable, or, or actually satellite first and then cable later, um, when I was growing up, uh, it was all about uh, a show about UK wrestlers. And I did say that when I came on the show that I would do at least one of the the choices would be a uk story so this is a uk news story and it is actually huge and pivotal and you'll see why so itv a terrestrial channel in the uk stops televising british wrestling in 1988 after 33 years effectively starting the death rattle of the popularity of the sport in the uk and the careers of icons and of the sport in the uk like giant haystacks and big daddy British wrestling had been hugely popular sport and entertainment for around 100 years at that point, um, and it was first televised in 1955, very often twice a week at its peak. American wrestling, as I said earlier, made its start on British satellite TV and as pay-per-view events and continues now on premium cable channels. Uh, and British wrestlers, uh, once the uh, UK stopped televising British wrestling in 1988, uh, began traveling with hugely successful live shows, which were initially uh, very successful, but finally actually dwindled and ended in 93-94. However, as of 2018, 30 years later, ITV has announced a new 10-episode series of World of Sport Wrestling, which was the name of the old show, um, and also as the WWE tries to push into international territories and hosting more and more events in the UK, there looks to be a clash of networks with WWE trying to control the UK 
Publix Wrestling Intake versus ITV's World of Sport Wrestling with plucky, mostly bearded, truly British wrestlers holding their own and putting on a show 31 years after the initial TV run ended. But the big news story uh, was that a guy called Greg Dyke came in to control ITV uh, uh, TV at the time and went, no more wrestling, even though it was hugely popular, and stopped televised British wrestling in 1988 after wow. 33 years. So that is a big news story. But as I said, it has come back around. And in 2018, 30 years later, they reawakened the ghost and British wrestling is uh, back on TV again where it belongs. John, I got a remote control for you. I'm going to find it. Listen, I said I would do a British story. I think that's a pretty good find, I have to say. Come on now. Pretty pivotal. I know it's not WWF. I know it's not uh, uh, WWE, but... You didn't mention... You should have mentioned NXT UK. Right, but NXT I mean, UK is a completely separate thing, and it's point. run by the WWE, which... which Right. No, the, the, the whole, True, the whole point I don't know. is actually I, I lost in 2018, and if you look, at, look this up, there's actually a huge <laughs> amount of news stories about this. Because it's 30 years since um, the world of sport wrestling went off the air and is now coming back on the air, and with WWE doing a lot more stuff in the UK right now and trying to get other um, uh, UK live events and other things televised, there's, there, there literally is right now a clash where you've got traditional British wrestling, which is being televised, but the WWE that's saying, no, we want like full control over international territories and we don't want these competing shows and so on and so forth. So uh, it it was a pivotal show for 33 years between the 50s and the 80s and it's come back and it's as relevant today because it's actually giving British viewers something that they've always wanted but is now competing with the American cable behemoth. So it's 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 a I, I think it's actually a genuinely fascinating story. Nice. Yeah. All right. Over to the Mama Luke's. All right, you want me to start this one off, Man Crush, or do you want to take it? You can. I mean, it doesn't make a difference. You could start. All right. My news story uh, happened on November 15th, 1998, and it was one of the largest pay-per-views of all of 1998. It happened at the Keel Center in St. Louis, Missouri, and it was Survivor Series 1998 put on by the WWF, and it was good for four. 478,000 buys, making it the most bought Survivor Series ever at the time. It was the only Survivor Series to feature no elimination matches, and it was the first tournament held by the WWF for the WWF Championship in over 10 years, the last time being WrestleMania 4 in 1988. At the mere age of 26 years of age, Dwayne The Rock Johnson reached the very pinnacle of the wrestling universe. He would go on to have his very first title reign uh, with him and Mick Foley swapping alignments in a double turn in a rehash of what we saw with the Montreal Screwjob with ultimately The Rock defeating mankind by submission and turning heel, aligning himself with Vince McMahon. The following evening on Raw, McMahon declared The Rock to be the corporate champion, and uh, this helped set up the epic Rock and Austin feud, and that really helped propel the company forward for the next decade. And that all started at Survivor Series of 1988 when The Rock won his first world title, not to mention the first African-American champion in professional wrestling in a very, very long time. I didn't even think about that. Good point. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, Ron Simmons was the first in WCW, and we really hadn't seen a African-American world heavyweight champion in a predominant role since Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He was really the first one that they said, this is our guy. He really took that company to where it is now, along with Austin and Mankind, Undertaker. That motion really just started. Was that that Survivor Series? All right. So since you said that, I might as well just jump right in here because it ties into yours pretty heavily. Uh, March 29th, 1998, it was WrestleMania 14, where Stone Cold Steve Austin defeats Shawn Michaels, the Heartbreak Kid, to become the World Heavyweight Champion for the first time. And if someone had to go back and really pinpoint like a landmark event to launch the Attitude Era, you would have to think of WrestleMania 14. This is probably where it begins. You got Austin winning the belt. Pete Rose getting a tombstone in the ring. The Rock <laughs> dropping many. You know, this is I didn't notice this until I did the research for this. The Rock actually dropped Smell What I'm Cooking for the first time ever in a it was an interview with Jennifer Flowers. Remember the Jennifer Flowers and Clinton thing? Yeah. And then, like I said earlier, that went on. They they turned that into Do You Smell What The Rock Is Cooking? became his theme song and his fucking catchphrase and all that shit. That started right there. And how's this for attitude? Because of the Montreal screw job, The Undertaker was actually prepared to kick the shit out of Shawn Michaels if he pulled that again against Austin. But obviously that never happened. Uh, you know, HBK laid down for Stone Cold, probably the best worker of all time, uh, passing the torch to argue, arguably the best champion of all time. And that happened at uh, WrestleMania 14. And there was huge lead up to this. You had uh, Mike Tyson was the special enforcer for the match. Uh, and he was with Degeneration X for like a couple of weeks. And then, of course, the referee gets knocked out. And see, here's a spoiler. He jumps into the ring, does a quick three count, hands up knocking out Shawn Michaels after the match, and then takes the Austin 316 jersey, or uh, shirt rather, that uh, Austin gave to him. And if this doesn't really give you a pinpoint of passing the torch, and this was something that Shawn Michaels did not want to happen. He was actually mad about it afterwards. But Tyson took that shirt, the Austin 316 shirt, and as he was knocked out in the ring, laid it over his face. As oh, wow. like, a, yeah. like, you know, like right. it was a coffin. Yeah. That. yeah. And he was like pissed off about that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, there it is. And then uh, an interesting fact that, you know, you have friends that are going to be like, oh, the rocks better than Austin. But I mean, it can go either way. But Austin's shortest title reign was 55 days. That's longer than six of the rocks. Eight reigns, which is pretty crazy that they were so <laughs> That's short. Incredible. Yeah, anyhow, uh, WrestleMania 14 and Stone Cold beating Shawn Michaels for the title for the first time. Hmm. <laughs> well, obviously, if you take a look at the 80s, 88, Jim Crockett selling to Turner Broadcasting System. That's, like I said, the catalyst for becoming WCW. That really marks the end of the territories, which had kind of become... Uh, you know, just that was commonplace back then. You had guys that would go to one territory. They would skip over to work another territory, defend a belt from the other territory. You know, it was kind of the Wild West, as a lot of people referred to it in the wrestling industry. Um, you know, so you have uh, Crockett selling to Turner to create WCW. That really kind of is the nail in the coffin of the territories as we previously knew them. And it's interesting how all this 80s stuff is kind of really coming back around now. Now you have all these prominent independent promotions that could be kind of considered the territories with the interwoven 
you know, guys that'll cross over from one territory to the other. So it's interesting how that kind of has all wormed its way back, uh, you know, 30 years later. But you look at the 90s. This is a really big turning point for the professional wrestling industry. You have the birth of the Attitude Era. You have the, uh, you know, WCW kind of getting getting its legs underneath it. And they ignite the uh, the Monday Night Wars around this particular time, 97, 98, 99, really kind of pivotal times for professional wrestling in the mainstream and working its way into culture and everything like that. You have Steve Austin, Shawn Michaels, arguably two of the biggest stars of uh, the entire industry altogether. Um, WrestleMania 14, Survivor Series, uh, you know, The Rock at 26, becoming one of the youngest champions in history. Like Mark said, one of the uh, first African-American hit, uh, champions as well. Or one of them, you know, after Ron Simmons at WCW. Uh, I'm going to have to hand it to the Mama Lukes, the 90s on this one, just because uh, 90s was such a pivotal and memorable time and one that uh, fans really look back on with a lot of uh, admiration for sure. I'm going to put that down to the fact that Britain is no longer relevant. And I apologize. <laughs> you know, here's a really cool Stone Cold uh, fact that came up in 1998. They sold $12 million in t-shirts just of Stone Cold. Slow Tuesday for me. Yeah, that Stone Cold 316 shirt is the number one selling wrestling merchandise item of all time. Yeah, here's an article from Forbes from uh, 2017. It was a list of the top 20 shirts from 2017. And it was all like, you know, relevant guys that are around today. Number one in that entire list was Stone Cold Steve Austin. Which makes no sense to me because it's horrible to be in a place and see a dude with the same shirt as you. <laughs> like, go with a rarer guy. Like, that's why I go Eddie and the Cruises 2. Not even Eddie and the Cruises 1. <laughs> Eddie and the Cruises 2. You just don't two. want to run that risk. No, yeah. I don't no. want to be sat in a McDonald's, look up from my uh, chicken nuggets and see some other dickbag wearing my shirt. I'd have to fight him. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't want to run that risk. But he does want to run through the fire. Yeah. <laughs> no, I definitely want to run through the fire. <laughs> Yeah, with two Stone Cold shirts, can you throw beers to each other and fucking smack them and like start chugging them together or mm. what? That's I don't the only know. way Either I drink. that or you could watch a really bad straight to Blu-ray movie <laughs> in which <laughs> he he walks around the woods with Gary Daniels for what seems like forever. I don't Gary you know what? Daniels, he was Gary Daniels a, a British performer. martial artist. And I, I just don't know why he never took off in movies. It's just he know. did a, he did a he did a really 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 good one called the package with uh, which was directed by jesse johnson who's gone on to work a lot with scott atkins um and it features um a british martial artist called darren shalavi uh who sadly passed away um but who was in it man two, two i think yep uh and uh which was probably his biggest movie but shalavi had done a bunch um outside of that and him shalavi and dolph lundgren in the package it's a it's a bit of a like rare one on on dvd but it's actually a, it's actually a pretty decent like drama action movie worth watching wow they're pretty terrible that's nothing like the movie the package i saw <laughs> no no not, not, not anything like that um uh, uh, other steve austin memorable work is of course the maximum conviction man. with um <laughs> uh, uh steven seagal yeah that's terrible um, yeah, where they're both prison wardens yep. who get Ugh. like, yeah, locked in over the weekend with a bunch of ru- unruly prisoners. What will happen? And will Seagal eat the entire prison? I got prison sucked buffet? into watching that one. <laughs> Terrible. And it, the whole movie's really dark. 
So it's yes. really hard to see what the fuck is going on. And that's probably just a cover up cigar. I just like the fact that the marketing department sat around and was like, so wait. They're both in prison, and it stars Steven Seagal and Stone Cold Steve Austin. It's got to be Maximum Conviction. That's That's got to be the title of it. It's absolutely fantastic. They had it's, a conviction it's, it's, for working late. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but they also have the steely resolve needed to sort out the problem. Of course. They are men of maximum conviction. It's got like a double – it's so – layered anyway let's move and on. the weird thing is, is those are two action stars that can't run yeah two action stars that can no, barely move not at all one one because he spent the 90s literally consuming every beef product he came across <laughs> and the other guy because he's fucking 300 percent muscle not sure who's who here <laughs> that was the other thing i wasn't sure who he was talking about right okay well hang on a second one 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 that will admit he's bald and the other one that won't admit he's bald and wears a weave that looks like the floor mat from an Austin Maxi in 1987. <laughs> <What the laughs> Great. Don't bring HBK into this, man. <laughs> Seagal's Widow's Peak has been coloring itself in for like the last 10 years. Oh, it's it's horrible. He's got that Sam Donaldson haircut. Yeah. His Widow's Peak and his hair currently yeah. is like Hulk Hogan's beard in 1998. Mm, Definitely. The yeah, best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or Janet Jackson's pubes in 2004. Oh, no, right. let's, <laughs> let's move on to television. For the the old I don't know why I went Janet Jackson's because we mentioned her earlier, but whatever. Oh, I thought we were back on the bald thing. <laughs> <laughs> I bet she's got a big old bush. All right. You want me to start out TV? Go for it. All right. I actually pulled this, this one up and watched it last night. Released January 31st, 1998, in an episode titled Crusader. This was the 16th episode of season six of Texas Walker Ranger, featuring WWE Hall of Famer Roddy Piper, uh, who plays Cody the Crusader Conway, who also happens to be a professional wrestler. Hands down, <laughs> I watched this last night, hands down, Piper is the best actor on this entire episode <laughs> of Texas Walker Ranger. Every, even Chuck Norris. He kills everybody. Uh, and he's also pretty jacked at the time, which is crazy. because, Actually, no, it's not that crazy because he was wrestling in WCW at the, in the late 90s against like Hogan and the NWO and all that shit. And wasn't he, he was like the commissioner or something yeah. in WCW at the time also, right? Uh, the greatest part of this episode, not only does he show off his ring skills, as a wrestler. And actually he he does it incredible on this. Like he he looks like he's getting punched, like better than I've ever seen him. But he dies basically twice in the ring in this. He has like some kind of brain aneurysm and he falls off the top turnbuckle and they take him to the hospital. Doctor tells him that he has a fucking brain aneurysm. So he well, of course what does he do after his his wife and his ex-wife and his son get kidnapped? He beats the guys up and gets them back. But then he gets offered $500,000 to wrestle again. And, of course, his house is going into foreclosure, so he needs the money. And he wants to leave it to his child. Uh, so he tells the promoter to put the check into his kid's name, win or lose. He's getting this five hundred grand. He fights the same guy in a rematch. And his pinfall is he actually has an aneurysm in his brain as he oh, knocks no. this guy out. And his fucking lifeless body just falls on top of the dude. And he gets the three count. For the win, and at this time, everyone's like, is this fucking dude dead? Like, what the fuck? 
So he's lying in bed at the end of the episode and his kids at the bedside, everyone's crying. And I was like, there's no way they could fucking end this with this dude dying. He, he doesn't disappoint. He opens his eyes, says he loves his kid. You don't know if he dies like a week later, but for the moment he is living, but there it is. It's because Rowdy's mullet will save him every time. <laughs> he didn't That's have a Rowdy mullet in this, really... though. He was very no, clean but he, cut. He had the internal mullet. He had the memory of the mullet. He had the 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 embodiment of the mullet, and that that saves him. Well, the you extended I mean? scene doesn't show, but actually once uh, Piper comes back too, uh, Walker comes into the, the room and informs everybody that Piper has AIDS. <laughs> Walker does not disappoint in this episode, though. There's a scene where they're rescuing his son and from the bad guys, and he flies up in a helicopter. He's in the back, you know, just like a regular movie. How there's one like a gunner in the back. Well, fucking Walker's the gunner. He pulls out his revolver from the helicopter and shoots a dude in the fucking throat from like a hundred, <laughs> couple hundred feet away from the helicopter. How did this show make it past one season? Yeah. Six. Uh, he stole that move from Christopher Walken, who in the fantastic James Glickenhouse masterpiece McBain fires a hand pistol in the passenger seat of a jet through a closed window without breaking the glass <laughs> and shoots down another jet about, I don't know, 100 feet in midair away from them. That's that's how good well, I could see that is. happening, though. Yeah, through a closed window with no shattered glass. <laughs> hey, a, a little bonus from this episode. You were going to say something, though. Sorry, dude. You oh, no, slight, slight bonus. He does play the bagpipes. He actually did play the bagpipes. It's something he learned growing up in Canada because you had that Scottish heritage in Canada. So, and because it helps ward away coyotes and bears and things, it does. Yeah, it scares the shit out of them. It's such a like pointless scene. I'll tell you how the show lasted. People like my brother who would sit in their bedroom smoking cigarettes in their mother's robe, <laughs> watching hours upon hours of Walker Texas Ranger, the worst fucking thing to hit humanity since. Ugh. I don't know though. Was which was worse, Walker or Renegade? Renegade. Yeah. Come at Renegade. Don't you come at Johnny Six Killers. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get very upset if you do that, dude. Lorenzo, Lorenzo Lamas, Lamas is whack. an American icon. Let's not have a go at Lamas. Come on now. He was on a show called like Finding Models or some shit, where he was like forcing people to get like facial reconstruction, dude. <laughs> now you're I mean, ugly. You're like people five. Talk about Texas Walker Ranger having six seasons, but does anyone know that according to Jim? <laughs> the Jim Belushi sitcom had eight seasons. Wow. Eight seasons. That's ABC. They fucking eight play seasons. shit for fucking And wasn't decades. that show Jag that nobody watched on for like 15 <laughs> yeah. years? Yeah. That's because that chick had big yeah. jugs. <laughs> That's why. She made me want to fucking jag off. <laughs> if you didn't go there, I was going to go there. What are you, from Pittsburgh? Come on now. All right, let's move on to Mark. We spent way too much time on Texas Walker Ranger. That's probably how we stayed on the air so long. Probably. All right, so we're going to go over to an episode of Raw is War, April 13th, 1998, live from the Core State Center in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, with 16,237 WWF fans in the house and advertised Steve Austin versus Mr. McMahon main event was enough to finally beat WCW Nitro in the ratings for the very first time in nearly two years. 
with fans really getting sick of the stale WCW booking at the time, case in point being the WCW Nitro main event from that very night featured Sting and Kevin Nash for the WCW World Heavyweight title, and it just ended up in another NWO run-in like it always did. The main event for this night was a major turning point in the Monday Night Wars for the WWF in the start of the epic Austin and McMahon storyline. It all it re- also revealed for the very first time that Mr. McMahon was totally fucking jacked under his under his suit jacket. We didn't know that. He takes it off, he comes out to the ring in his uh typical McMahon strut and shows off his guns for the first time. Uh, this episode also set up the Austin and Dude Love match for Unforgiven, the next pay-per-view. And a few short le- weeks later, WWF would taunt WCW's declining ratings by sending none other than DX to drive a Jeep up to the parking lot where Nitro was held. So April 13th, 1998, pinnacle episode of Monday Night Raw. And it's where they beat WCW for the first time in two years. One of the other things about this, the whole change of the guard right here from 97 to 98, you're talking about like house shows that would never go sold out. They'd say they'd go to like Pittsburgh for five nights. They would sell out four nights, which they never did. They don't even do that now. I know the game has changed a lot since then, but they never did that just from one year to the other. You know, their attendance went up 81% from 97 to 98. The average being 6,000 and then going to 11,000 in one year. The fucking ratings up 45% from a 2.0 in 97 to over 4 to 5 to even 6 in 98, which is fucking incredible. All right. So that's television. All right, Mike, do you want to go first or shall I go first? Do you think yours is stronger or mine is stronger? I'll go. I'll go. That's right. All right. On uh, February 5th. 1988, the WWF aired the very first episode of The Main Event, a spinoff of Saturday Night's Main Event, and aired on Fridays during primetime. The event usually featured the WWF's biggest stars and aired a total of five shows between 1988 and 1991. The first episode is significant because it's the first time pro wrestling had been on primetime broadcast television in 30 years. It set a company record for viewership with over 30 million people tuning in was the lead into WrestleMania 4 and saw a rematch between the unstoppable force and the immovable object, Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant for the title. The match resulted in a total screw job. Hogan's shoulder was clearly off the mat. The title went to Andre, who then sold it to the million dollar man. The company then made the title up for grabs and set up a tournament for WrestleMania 4. So there you have it, folks. A monumental event for a monumental year in sports entertainment. Nice. Wasn't on, wasn't Andre the Giant like champion for a record like forty eight seconds or something? <laughs> you, know, you know the thing is though, man, you can't make Andre the Giant the champion. Who's right. gonna beat him? Right. You know. Well, that's, that's the whole point. He's the champion of our hearts. Yeah, the big show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So to uh, not only do we get the 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 debut of one show, but do you know what else debuted in nineteen eighty eight? Not British wrestling. Not British <laughs> wrestling, no. Thank indeed. fucking God. Um, wow, I ran out of smelling salts. <laughs> oh, okay. I see how it is. Just wait till I judge again on the next episode. 
Um, all right. The WWF debuts Royal Rumble for the first time mm. in 1988. Royal Rumble uh, became a hugely popular annual event. The first one took place on January 24th, 1988 at the Cops Coliseum in Hamilton, Ontario. Unlike the subsequent Royal Rumble events, this event was not shown on pay-per-view and was instead a television special shown on the USA Network. The Royal Rumble has been held in January every year since and is one of the big four events for the WWE. In this first event, One Man Gang held the record for the most eliminations in a single Rumble and the most eliminations overall with six. Bret Hart was the first ever entrant in a Royal Rumble match and he held a record for longevity time lasting 25 minutes and 42 seconds. And Jim Duggan would go on to win this first ever historic Royal Rumble from January of 1988. That is an epic TV moment in the world of wrestling. I always wondered, do you think they wanted Hacksaw Jim Duggan to win the Royal Rumble? <laughs> <laughs> or was that was like an a, accident? Yeah, was it like an accident and they just uh, swept that under the rug? <laughs> well, it's too late to change it now. <laughs> ah shit oh. what are we gonna do now <laughs> got this inbred motherfucker representing the company <laughs> but that's 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 pretty huge right the first ever royal rumble that's pretty good right that's that's it's better than uh, it's better events, than your last right? story that's for sure. right <laughs> and it's, it's better than the the 15th episode in the sixth season oh it was the 16th episode in the sixth season oh okay let's get, All this, right. let's get the shit straight here Oh man! Ooh, what a I decision! I did find the the one thing I did find looking into it. There was a TV show that only ran for one year in Canada that featured a guy who was a teacher by day and a wrestler by night. I almost went with that <laughs> till I saw Royal Rumble. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm starting to second guess your decision there for you. <laughs> right, exactly. Go for the comment. Some of the stuff you come up with doing the research for these episodes. One of the most staggering statistics I came up with. Now, in 1998, they did some statistical studies on wrestling, and uh, they surveyed it, and for 100 hours of viewing, how many crotch gestures do you think that they captured in 100 hours of viewing of uh, WWF wrestling in 98? Oh, Lord. It's got to be in the uh triple digits. It's got to be like 1,000 hours. I don't, I don't know how that works. It's like, one, like 1,658. 1,658 <laughs> on the money. Wow. Someone knows his stuff. Mark sent that to me a couple days ago. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's just 1,658 crotch gestures in 100 hours. I did. You know, the one thing I didn't agree with, though, it said that there was only 157 middle fingers. I think that number. Yeah, I low. think that is low because you're figuring that's two each time Austin did it. And if you look at the crowd, yeah, they're they're everywhere. Yeah. So that's, that's yeah. crazy. Wrestling hand, uh, wrestling fans just hated each other in '98. It's awful, oh, yeah. just flipping each other off at every turn. We had the debut of the main event and the debut of Royal Rumble. <laughs> Come on, guys. Tough two to beat. Come on. Now. Oh, this is it. a tough two to beat. Obviously, Walker, Texas Ranger holds a very uh, soft spot in the heart of dueling decades and the poop culture properties. Um, yeah, talk about needing smelling salts, though. Jeez. Well, you uh, when you partner Chuck Norris and uh, Wilford Brimley with Roddy Piper, that's obviously a very strong formula for success that would rival bath salts or smelling salts. True. Um, you know, you got Piper dying twice in the episode, essentially. Then Walker tells him he's got AIDS and he's still Listen, living. 
I'm, I'm a Brimley Piper fan, but Norris Norris is one of the most tedious people to ever be put on screen. Norris Piper is actually my porno uh, my porno name. Norris, Norris Piper. Piper. Norris Piper. Yeah. <laughs> Brimley Piper is mine, so that's weird. I will say this episode. There's barely any Chuck Norris interaction. That's, that's unfortunate. Why it's a good episode. <laughs> yeah, they do. They seriously like pushed him out of the episode. He has such a small part. Well, we episode. all forget, of course, about the spinoff, which was Piper, Texas Ranger. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Piper, Saskatchewan Ranger. Yeah. <laughs> Cody Crusader, the Texas oh Ranger. and Piper police the Northern Territories in a bike and sidecar. <laughs> <laughs> While Piper plays the bagpipes and Brimley shoots things with a bow and arrow. Oh, my goodness. Coming in 2019 to Netflix. Yeah, <laughs> the diabetes. No. We're all waiting he with bated breath as we watch arrow. Wilfred Brimley die on our streaming device of choice. <laughs> Uh, so you got Walker, Texas Ranger. Uh, you've got the the Austin versus McMahon feud that really kind of you know gets its stride going. First time in a couple of years that uh, you know in the Monday Night Wars that WWF pulls ahead of uh, WCW, uh, and then you go back to the '80s, the main event debuting for the first time in 30 years on broadcast television. That seems like a pretty significant event. And then you're giving away Hogan versus Andre on uh, on broadcast network television. Not even saving it for pay per view. Not only that. You're also giving away the Royal Rumble, which makes its debut on regular television, not even pay-per-view. That's an event that's still held to this day. It's considered one of what they call the big four pay-per-views outside of WrestleMania, Survivor Series, and... uh Oh, that was not a pay-per-view? No. no, the first Royal Rumble was on USA Network. Oh, it was a, I, I did mention that. It was a network uh, TV uh, debut. It yeah, went to pay-per-view awesome. the very next year. Though. So it's definitely a strong year for uh, broadcast television, not even pay-per-view. So uh, I am going to have to give this, just based on uh, longevity here, again, to Ashley Judd, half Nelson. Boom! Yes! Mike, we did it. <laughs> Told you we could do it. <laughs> yes. Nice. Well, see, what you didn't know is I just ran the screw oh. job on Mark by putting in Texas no! Walker Ranger for the TV. Oh, oh, it's the dueling decade screw job. No. What a twist. I did not see that coming. A day that will live in infamy. <laughs> Yeah, seriously, there there was a lot of things. I was trying to have fun with it by throwing that out there because how many times are you going to say the same thing about Austin? The how Rock? many yeah. times are you going to get a pivotal yeah. Walker, Texas Ranger moment in a dueling episode? Episodes? That's amazing. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's that's better than all the mentions that's... of uh, Mario Kart and stuff we've had in previous episodes. <laughs> <laughs> that, that might actually top the time that Boy George was on the A-team. No, oh, that yeah. might. Oh, yeah, exactly. yeah no, it does. It does. It's pretty special. Um, it's it's, it's special, but not in a way that you want to remember. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's special in the way where George Peppard looked at him oddly for the entire episode with a sense of unease and bewilderment, which in its own way is kind of beautiful. But at the same time, I don't want that for my Hannibal Smith. You know what I mean? They did win over the crowd, though, at the end. True. With that final version of uh, Comic Relief. <laughs> yeah. But, but you know Peppard, he's not happy unless he's doing a horrible racial stereotype of some kind while in heavy <laughs> drag makeup. <laughs> Good matchup, though. I, I knew that one was going to be close. That's, that's tough. And it's one of those things where everything that you guys did in 88, and I, not that you guys did it, but everything you brought up in 88 definitely led to where we were in 98. Yeah. You know, all that stuff. Because there were dark years in between that where... Just like I said, with those 97 numbers before, that was only one year difference from what we're talking about. 
But if you look at 96 and 95, and 90, they were terrible, really It was really shit kind barriers. of a transitional time. He still had a lot of the old timers kind of holding down the yeah. fort. And you look at 98 WCW, the year started out great. You had the uh, the birth of Goldberg and his whole dramatic undefeated streak run. But towards the second half of the year, you had pay-per-view matches with Dennis Rodman, Karl Malone, Jay, <laughs> Jay Leno, Leno, Kevin Green. Some of the biggest matches they were putting on Nitro just to try to win a few ratings over Raw here and there. And then the pay-per-views were kind of gimmicky throwaway matches. And it just they did not fare well. Jay Leno should have become a serious wrestler. The Canadian Tuxedo would have been a great name for him. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or the Chin, or the whiny voiced the fuck, Chin, or something. And I think I think we're missing the obvious tag team of Jay Leno and Sergeant Slaughter. Yeah, versus David oh, Letterman. God, the Chin. The chins. <laughs> oh, they could be the double chins. Yeah, yeah. versus David Letterman. And uh, some pizza guy who he picked up on the way over. Or his, no, his intern that he picked up. On the way. <laughs> <laughs> and Biff Henderson. That's right. Well, again, thank you guys for playing the game this week. And thank you guys for listening to the show. If you guys like what you hear, please subscribe on iTunes and on CastBox. You can always check us out, of course, in our Facebook group. We'll continue the conversation, and you guys can join in as well. Go to YouTube. Oh, yeah, YouTube. Like Holy visuals, shit. Because we just started that, and nobody really knows about it. But if you like visuals and you want to watch our stupid faces <laughs> along with some cool shit that has to go along with our picks, right. yeah. go to the YouTube. And it's set up in clips. You don't have to watch us for a straight hour. They're like 15 minutes. Each round is its own clip. So it's kind of cool on YouTube if you like. We to, have uh, really stupid video. faces, so it's really worth tuning in. <laughs> <laughs> and if you guys are listening on the Poop Culture stream, and if you don't know this, we have a whole other stream dedicated to Dueling Decades. You can subscribe to that RSS feed if you just want to listen to the retro content. And if you're listening on the Dueling Decades feed, we got this whole other show, man, that you don't even know about yet. So check out Poop Culture. Subscribe to that feed. Always check out DuelingDecades.com as well. So we're going to end this episode here. Thank you, Retro Warriors, for listening to this episode of Dueling Decades. Well, until next time, fellow boopers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. And if you don't like that, we got two words for you. Dueling Decades. Infirmary Media.